This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is episode 42, Reinvent Yourself with James Altucher. This is On Purpose with Justin Barclay. Extraordinary stories of ordinary heroes on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, man, I am so fired up for you today because our guest is a guy who has been through it all. He's been, chances are, where you are right now, and he's been through the fire and he's got a lot of great stories to share. Matter of fact, James Altucher is, man, I'd say a big influence, whether he knows it or not, on the reinvention of myself, of who I am and where I came from even four and a half, five years ago as a reformed radio shock jock. Somebody was working in radio. That's all I did for the last 20 years. And they just celebrated that big anniversary, right? Um, in 1996. <laughs> was the first time Christmas Eve that I was able to work and get paid for it at a radio station. Kind of cool. It all came crashing down. You know my story in 2012. My dream job turned into a nightmare. I lost it. Since then, I've been reaching out for lifelines to people like James and the books he's written. And they've had a tremendous impact on my life. So I'm so happy to share a little bit of that with you today. James is a hedge fund manager, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and podcaster. Matter of fact, it was his book, Choose Yourself, that I first picked up a few years back that made such an impact on me. It really is one of the core uh, few books that I will actually recommend and suggest to people who are looking to start over, start from scratch, and really create more freedom in their lives. His podcast, The James Altucher Show, has been downloaded by millions of millions of people. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Uh, It's a great show. A lot of people listen to it, and he has had some of the most interesting people, the most fascinating guests and topics on this show. I highly recommend it. You can uh, check his blog out at jamesaltucher.com. But he's here with us, so get ready, get fired up, because what you're going to learn today are some secrets, some secrets about what brought me to where I am today, what James went through, and some of the keys that you can put together in your own life to have the same type of results and even better success. James touches on it all. I can't wait to share this with you. James, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks so much for uh, having me on the show. By the way, your voice is great. How can I like you? Have you been on radio like all your life, like since you were two years old? Yeah, yeah that's the funny story, actually. Uh, I I, uh, I started when I was in high school, and so um, I guess. What do you mean? Like when I was in high school, I was like, you know, <laughs> going after girls and failing classes and just screwing around. Did you suddenly just show up? At a, did someone like swoop down and say, boy, you got what it takes. Let's get you on the radio. <laughs> like, how did that happen? 
I, it was just something I was fascinated with as a kid. I always wanted to do it. And I think I knew ever since uh, at least it was like sixth or seventh grade. I did a report on it when I was a kid and um, got to meet a couple of radio guys in my hometown. And um, it was uh, that was kind of where it all was was born. I guess I was a bit of a hammer and entertainer as a kid and I always put on shows and things like that. And so when I found out that uh, there was a radio station in uh in our school district and you could go to that the basically that high school for half a day my senior year you could go there and learn how to operate run and operate a radio station an actual radio station it's a public public broadcasting station but we got a chance to do that and then like I actually got my first job I got hired while I was still in that class and this was back in um I guess it was 96, so they needed Christmas Eve. You know, they still, this is before computers, they still needed people <laughs> to, to play the music. Uh, nowadays, you know, you don't need anybody. The, the computer can do all that. Um, and so they had to have people putting in the CDs into the CD players and playing Christmas music. So my first shift, I didn't say, you know, I said absolutely nothing. But uh, it, it's it's funny how that works. I just, just looking back was 20 years um, ago. This, Wait, so this have Christmas. you been doing, like... Have you been using your voice to make a living for 20 years? Yep. Radio ever since. I I, um, I actually was, uh, I went to, co- well, I was enrolled in college, but I didn't, <laughs> didn't really go because I was already doing what I wanted to be doing. And I just threw myself into it and, until about um, 2012, about four and a half, five years ago. I, I lost my dream job. Uh, doing what happened? That. How'd you lose it? I was working for uh, w- one of the big radio companies, uh, three-letter radio, three-letter uh, company, and um, I. Uh, it, it was really just it. It was more of a politics than it was anything else. But I think James, the thing that got me most was um, a friend of mine had brought me in to do that job. I had done an amazing job, kick kick butt. You know, we we came in to beat our competition. We were kind of a small startup radio station. Um, and we were taking David taking on Goliath and, uh, we won, we were doing really well. Um, but because of the change, he had to retire, he had to leave. He had health problems. The job that he was doing was literally killing him. Um, and they brought in new people and those people brought in new people. And it was kind of that point where I knew the deal was broken. The deal was, you know, look, you go out, you get good ratings you know, we'll be able to sell this, and then, you know, you can basically chart your course. And I, I thought I was going to be there for the rest of my life, uh, but it was that moment where I kind of had this big wake-up call, and a couple of things happened. Number one, I decided I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. There are when you're doing radio. I mean, it's you'd never turn that job off. I mean, it's always on. And then the other thing was, I what, just what does that mean? Does that mean you're always thinking about things to say, or exactly? Like- you're only as good as your last show. I just heard an interview with uh, Oprah and uh, this podcast called uh, Making Oprah, which is really good. Uh, I recommend. But she talked about how why the what the reason why she wanted to step away from her daily show, the TV show. And one of them was she knew she couldn't like top it. She couldn't go further. They were talking in one of the meetings about taking her and a couple of viewers up into space. <laughs> it was just like this has got to jump the shark. But you're really you're only as good as your last show, and so you're always on, and you're always in that pressure s- sort of mode, you know. Um, 
And uh, it was weird because you're waking up at like three o'clock in the morning or, or even earlier to do the, the, the morning shift that I did. And, and I loved it. I, I really, I've, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I just had so much fun during that time. But the, the, the job that I was in had kind of was sort of a dream job that kind of turned into a nightmare. It was a sort of a toxic place. And, you know, um, it was better. It was actually the best thing that ever happened to me, to being forced to kind of look around and say, what else, what else is out there? What do I really want to do? If I can, I really get a chance to start from scratch. I knew there was something bigger coming. There was something better, but I just didn't quite know you know what that what that would be at the time. So you had that feeling of I've got a skill and I've got interests and passions. I'm not a lazy person, but I just don't know what that next thing that can really inspire me is. You had that feeling, and how did you overcome that feeling? I think every day I <laughs> overcome that feeling. I, I've realized from from because uh, see, I thought I was always just going to do radio. Like that was it. This is the only thing. Um, but I feel like the weight that, uh, I've noticed in the last four and a half, five years is that the time, you know, I'm still, I'm still looking, I'm still, what can I do? What can I, how can I use this the best way that I, that I can, you know, and is there, are there other ways that I can, and what, what's the, you know, what's coming down the road? So I think it all, I think we always, I'm like always fighting that man. You know, you're always kind of like trying to figure that out. So, so, so. So the, I, have, I have one selfish question and then one bi, another biographical question. But I listen to myself on like podcasts, and I, I have a podcast, the James Altucher Show, and I feel like my voice is too high pitched. It's not a very radio voice. Like, what kind of? I want my voice to sound like your voice a little more. Like, do I <laughs> do I need to like just start practicing? Like, I, I don't know how you get that like extra layer of like voice on your voice. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you. There's two answers to this. Um, the the first answer is I'll tell you the answer that that I heard from the guy when I was like in seventh grade interviewed. He was like the big morning radio guy in the town that I lived in. And one of the things that he told me was get a tape recorder and just read a book and just read that book into the tape recorder and do that. And I did that, you know, over and over again. But the thing that sucks, and this is the thing that I think everybody goes through, but they don't realize it, is I hated my voice. And so, yes. you know. That's it, why I've never even listened to my own podcast. <laughs> I hate hearing my voice. Well, it is a great podcast. Here's the thing that you got to realize is you're more critical of yourself, right, than anybody else is. We all are. Yes. Um, and I thought my voice was high pitched and it was just, and of course it was higher pitched then, but it didn't, you know, I just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Um, I don't know if I just got better over time and my voice lowered and I was just, but I still don't have, I mean, I don't have the, the greatest radio voice in the, in the history of radio. It's not so much about the voice and the tone as it is about your content, what you're saying and what you make people feel. And I think that that's, that's the real key. And, and that's why your show is so successful. Uh, it's the content. It's what you, what you, what you actually have to say and, and the people that you bring on your show um, talk about. That's what people want. They, the, 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 the smooth voice, perfection you know that that sort of that doesn't really exist you know? i guess because if you think about it like think about howard stern or or not so i think larry king's got a good voice but like howard stern doesn't necessarily have the greatest voice 
So Howard is interesting. And I think we all kind of do this because uh, I think that's how he started. He didn't have the greatest voice and he does a lot of things. There are a lot of tricks and a lot of processing and things like that. The things that you can do technically to add in equipment and things like that, that will make your voice sound better. And I think he's done a lot of that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's his content that makes him, it's not the voice that makes him pop. That's like an ego thing that we all go through. Right. But the content is it. That's, that's what made him the best, you know? So, so, so now the biographical question, which is you obviously went from radio to not to something that's not much different, but perhaps is kind of the next generation, which is podcasting. Like you're doing this podcast right now for the blaze and it's an excellent podcast. And do you think, do you you think as radio gets subsumed by all these, all this electronic distribution, radio will disappear and be replaced by either podcasting for talk or Spotify and Pandora for music? I think it's already happening. Like I don't even see Sirius maybe lasting. I don't know. I think it's already happening. I think that um, what's happening with all these different areas is, is, is really, I mean, we all, I was thinking about this earlier in attention and we have, there's so many different places that people don't realize in radio and they didn't realize in the beginning that you had, you know, Spotify or Pandora, these things that, even podcasts would be competition, but re- really everything is. A book is your competition. Donald um, Trump's tweets yeah. are competition. <laughs> it's, it's so but true. Seriously, seriously, when I wake up in the morning, do I look at what Donald Trump tweeted at three in the morning to see what funny thing happened, or do I read Ernest Hemingway? Like that's an actual choice. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 now if you if you open your Twitter, you know how they do the thing. Here's what you missed, you know, while you were away. So, so they're they're kind of bringing some of that up to the forefront of like, oh, here's here's what Donald said last night. Here's what Trump said last night. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's I don't I think that's the thing that anybody in any in radio, I, some of the folks get it in radio, but I think there's some people that are still in terrestrial radio, and and, and in complete honesty. I just recently, back in June, got got involved in uh, terrestrial radio again. I don't do it full time. I, I I didn't expect to do, but I was having more fun than I thought I would. And uh, I do an hour show a day <laughs> for Whoa. for a local station here. But uh, wait, 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 Justin, isn't that like like too difficult? Like, don't you need like tw- like I think about something like The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 22 minutes. Of course, he's gone now, and he did it for, for whatever, 16 years. That was like 20 hours a day. How do you do an hour radio a day? Well, it's more than just the hour of being there. There's more preparation. Um, but I, the thing that I really got good at, James, is this. is in, in, in I think that this is an, more of an entrepreneurial thing, but... When I moved away from having a job, I started having to understand and, and think as an entrepreneur and how how you would have to think of, of your time if you were really um, going to be focused because you have to make the most of it. Right. Well, when you have a job, you know, <laughs> it's that it's what is it? Uh, Parkinson's law where, where you just if you have an, a, a certain amount of time, you will fill that amount of time with the task that you, that you have. So. 
you know, he, here you are uh, filling that time with the job versus when, when you think entrepreneurial, you, you think that I'm going to be as effective as I can with this time. So now I'm number one, I'm a lot more effective. And so I do certain things at certain times. A lot of that will come with scheduling because it's a local show. So it's going to be we're going to be more some of the we're going to be focused on things that aren't maybe necessarily news, topical news, things that I have to uh, completely, you know, be 100% plugged into at all times. So I'll do that's like half of the show. Uh, and then the, the first half of the show would be, you know, would be news, more topic, you know, topic A of the day sort of thing. And that can be achieved in a very quick amount of time. Just looking at uh, at headlines and then and then like finding the right person to take us a little deeper into the conversation. So I don't necessarily lean on myself as much as I do getting the right person who's uh, an expert in that in that field. And we have a we have a pretty good pool and resource that I can go into. And, and, and you know, here's the thing. Um, you're a very curious person. And that's kind of uh, that is the number one, I think, trait or. I don't wouldn't call it a skill. Of course, you could develop that in a question asking and things like that. But the number one trait is to be curious. So if you are curious and you naturally have that that drive to ask the questions, you're you're fine. And that's kind of what I lean on because I'm curious. I just want to know about these things. And and then I kind of lean on my experience of the world and uh, and everything that I know to 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 comment on things and. And um, it's really made that 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 hour easier for me. And well, well, well so and again, I'm, I apologize for hi- hijacking your podcast no. a little bit here. I'm just <laughs> yeah. insanely curious about this one thing. But you, terrestrial radio is, is anybody listening? Who's listening? Uh, you know, it's it's really amazing to me because I felt the same way. But I think in a small, especially in smaller, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so it's Market 65. We've got about a million people here, maybe a little bit more in the in the in the area, um, and that have the ability to listen. So the station that I'm on is one of the better stations. It's a news talk station in the market, so it's a pretty um, popular station. I think there are still people, especially that not in the big cities, that do drive to work, they get in the car, and they do put, turn the radio on um, because they haven't adapted to the new technology yet or they just haven't discovered podcasts uh, yet. Uh, or maybe they just want to know what's happening right now and specifically in my area. And I know we have apps and things like that, ways that you can listen online. With, our, with, our, with the radio station that I work for, or work with in that capacity, but you know it's it's um, it's it's interesting because I you know I listen to everything and and I I just took a trip um, seven hour trip in the car uh, drive to visit my parents and we I, I scanned the radio a little bit but mostly I'm the kind of guy I'm listening to podcasts I'm listening to Audible I'm you know I listen to download the books. Um, it's just it's just it's a different world uh i think there's a there's room for both but it's it's not going to be and we're already seeing that with radio and i think we're seeing that with television too right it's just not going to be 
it's not going to dominate like it once did. We, we, we're all fighting for that attention. So, well, it's true. And I wonder this about broadcast television, for instance. So I was talking to Mark Cuban about this, and his opinion was the only reason broadcast television still exists is because you do need to see sports in real time. That's mm-hmm. it, period. And uh, but yeah. eventually, maybe, you know, Netflix will buy the rights to the NFL or who knows. And then, and then where's ABC, NBC, and CBS? There's $20 billion companies will go to zero right away. You know, that's, that's, there's been a lot of talk about that lately. And so that's really a fascinating uh, subject and, and what happened. Because honestly, it's the content. Distribution goes along with that. But it, it really, the medium that I'm, if I'm getting my sports via Netflix or I'm getting it via a cable channel, does it really matter at the end of the day if the product is the same or even bet could be better on the other end? Right. So that's why I think when you, when you have a company like Netflix, that's willing to spend, you know, maybe upwards of $10 billion to buy programming and versus kind of terrestrial radio and, and, and traditional broadcast TV. I kind of think the old school is going to, is going to disappear. So that's a good question. I mean, we've got we're moving from the the model of advertising based media, right? That's how they make their money to subscription with Netflix. Um, subscription and also uh, on demand uh, media, even if it's not subscription, like podcasts. Sure. Like I could listen to your show, or you could listen to two hundred episodes of my show as if it was your hourly morning show every morning. You know. For the next 200 days, you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't ha- it's on demand. It's, it doesn't have to be like scheduled. It's not it's not must listen hour. Isn't isn't that cool? We I can tell you the last time. First of all, we don't I don't watch much TV at all, but just just television now. I can't tell you the last time other than a sports like a sporting event. I can't tell you the last time I watched something that was live as far as not time shifted, not DVR'd, whatever. I, uh, I don't know. Election, election night was the only time. That's and it. That, yeah. And that yeah. was um, streamed live on YouTube. That's how I watched it. <laughs> so, 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 you did, so you did get it. So, I mean, uh, are you, have you cut the cable together all, all together? Yeah. Yeah. It's all Apple TV. Let's see. I love the Apple TV, but I'm just, it's all, all of this stuff is just it's just off. Like it's not 100 percent there for me yet. Um, and I love all that tech. I love the Apple TV. Um, but like I want to be able to see some of the local channels because I need to know. I want to know what's going on. But even that. Right. That's because that's your job. You're like you're not a citizen. You're like yeah. you're a secret agent. So you need to you, you need to watch that stuff. If you okay. if you didn't need to do it, you you wouldn't do it. Like like for instance, if I didn't write every day, I, I'm a writer. So I, if I didn't write every day, I would no longer own a computer. I would just have like uh, a, a, my phone or a tablet or whatever. Devil's advocate. Right now we are under a winter storm warning here in West Michigan. And so during this time of year we get we can get some weather and, and you know, there's spring and, and whatever you get some you'll get some tornadoes and things like that too. So when when that type of thing happens, um you f- people you'll they'll wanna know. Weather is 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 very important, right? So we wanna know like what's going on. Uh, and, and I want to t- turn on the TV and find out or turn on the radio and find out. Um, 
I used to think about that with traffic, although like I, I'm, uh, you know, don't tell the people that I that I work with at my radio station, but like. We'll keep it a secret just between us. Apps are the apps are much better for that. The weather app isn't quite there yet when it comes to being able to give me here's how many inches you can expect here or here's what's happening right now when it comes to hey the tornado is coming through now. Here's what we're looking at. Please take cover, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know though. Like I when there's a storm, I just I don't care. I just kinda say, Okay, I, I look out the window. <laughs> And, like I've right, never right. once used an app for for travel or uh, for anything. I don't use apps. I don't have any apps. Do you? How, I mean, it, what if you use? Let's just think about this. What if you lived in Oklahoma and so the tornado threat is big there, and it's it's real. It's life or death for a lot of those. Well, folks. What am I going to do? Let, let's say there's a tornado warning. What am I going to do about it? I don't. I've never been in a tornado. So what do people in Oklahoma do when someone says the words? There's a tornado warning in this county. Yeah. So so here, this is why this is kind of cool. When I was like a kid, well, I was a kid, I guess I was like 18 or 19, working on a radio station. And it actually, it was in January. I mean, I think the anniversary was just the other day, 17 years ago, that this, uh, this tornado came through town. Very unexpected. And it just demolished big path of town. Well, I was actually on the air with a friend of mine. And this was back before we had apps and things like that on your phone and whatnot, but they had actual radar, and this was high-tech equipment stuff. that They had this in the studio at the time, and so we were tracking and watching the path of the storm, and you can watch in the... Um, in the in the radar and in the bow, and you could see where the echoes are with the with the with all that technology, the rain, etc. And you could tell people you need to take cover to, down to a street level, like when this thing was coming through. So being able to warn people and being able to know on the user into that, like being able to know, okay, uh, I need to take cover now, or I need to make sure family members know about this because. Like you said, most people, we just go about our day and you would never know. And on some of those days, especially in Oklahoma, you you just don't know if there's going to be inclement weather coming through. It can happen so fast. It's uh, and I'm not much of a scare. You know, I don't want to scare people, that type of thing. But I think there's a difference between being like freaked out. And I do think that weather people can go overboard sometimes, but uh, being freaked out and then also being informed. Okay. All right. So there's some use, but again, that's um, uh, that's like on-demand electronic stuff as opposed to you know, terrestrial radio and traditional TV. Like essentially, all media is moving towards you know app and on-demand, like yeah. as we need it, as we can, as we want to consume it. Whether I'm on the treadmill in the gym or commuting to work, it's 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 when I want something as opposed to when. You know, it used to be Seinfeld was must see TV on Thursday nights. <laughs> there's no, there's no more must see time where I schedule my life around a media event unless it's like the election. So, do you think? I mean, ultimately, it really sounds like that's the best for us as users, right? I mean, does that, does that? Um it's the best. It's for the best as, uh, for us as users, and for the best, the best for us as content creators, and that includes the listeners. Like, we all have something we want to say, or we all have something that, with a little bit of practice and research and understanding, we can we can stand up and say something unique. And this gives us an outlet. Like, 
anybody can have a podcast. Anyone can have a YouTube channel. Anyone can self-publish a book. I can. I tell people all the time, interview your family members about the history of your family and make like mm-hmm. the Barclay family podcast. And it might only have six listeners at first, but hey, maybe your family is particularly creepy and suddenly <laughs> you have a lot more listeners. So you never know what could happen and, and you would never get that chance in the, in the older world. But yeah. now it's kind of exciting that we're all one person media companies to some extent if we want to be. And a lot of people are, and they just haven't acknowledged it yet, right? So, because we got everybody's posting things on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and you're basically you're publishing, right? Well, and think about it. Think about how content on uh, Twitter has changed. So it used to be Twitter was a, a joke in like 2007, where people would you know post what they you know say, ah, I just ate this, or I just went to the bathroom, and it would just right. be kind of right. kind of you know, dumb, but now Twitter has become the main source of news on the planet. Like it's more important than CNN for, for news discovery. Uh, and you know, think about how that's changed. How do you feel? Cause this is a good, good road to go down because as we're talking about Twitter here, how do you feel about like the role it played in the election? A lot of the media companies would on one hand say, well, you know, Twitter, and they wouldn't take it seriously. And there's a president. Could we have a president who tweets? But yeah, like everything that was tweeted by by this guy by Trump, everything was reported. And 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 I don't know if it was so important because he tweeted it, or if they made it important by reporting it. A little bit of both. I mean, the guy's got whatever, 15 to 20 million followers. I don't know what the latest number is. So he's definitely reaching his audience just by the tweets themselves. Mm. And then essentially by being so audacious right. Uh, right. in the direction of his beliefs, uh, he, he would kind of oversell his cause. So let's say his cause was, um, I'm, I think we need to take a firmer stance on immigration. So that's the direction he, 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 he believes in. But then he oversells it by saying, well, we need to build a wall between two countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's audacious and out of control. And, um, and I'm not criticizing for it. That, that was a strategy. And so, but the media would say, this is, the, the, the media would say, this is crazy. A man like this can't be president. Now, whether or not the media was correct in making a judgment call on that remains to be seen, of course. But what Trump did was he fooled them into saying he said something so audacious that they felt like they had to report it because they report things that are on the fringe. Mm-hmm. But his base soaked it up because what they cared about was the direction and not the specifics. Like we could we're going to argue for the next 20 years about whether he did the specifics, just like we do right now about Obama. And it doesn't matter. What's what's important is the direction. You know, it's one of the interesting things. And, and, and I think being able to separate that out into strategy, like you just said, is, is so important. I think most people don't see see that. I noticed we were talking about this. It was it's so weird because I'm not really uh, I'm not really into politics. I guess I'm interested and fascinated by people and politics falls into that and how we you know what what moves us and that type of thing but um 
when I got back in, in into the daily radio show, the one of the big the biggest topic between June and 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 even today really is is this election. And so I was studying it, but not as necessarily in a political way, but more in the way of just media and, and how how it was all coming together. And one of the predictions I made, having lived in the last three states that I lived in were uh, Michigan now, but before that, uh, Florida and Ohio. And, and just knowing the audience and knowing the people there, I, I had made a prediction that, man, I really felt like Trump was going to easily win Florida. Uh, I know this is an easy saying, like going back and looking at it now, but you can go back and pull up the, the tape. I did say this. I said easily Florida, uh, probably um, and Ohio and, and probably Michigan. And then I said he might even win Pennsylvania. Just because of hearing like the language of who he was talking to and the kind of people that I know that are in those those states that there was it was my it was my audience. The people, you know, when you're when you do the job that that I did for 20, that's that's your your job is to know those people and what makes them tick and and be able to talk to them. I said, man, I really feel like and then I, I saw an interview and this ties into what you were talking about with strategy. I don't remember who he was talking to, but he was talking to somebody about these rallies that he was going out and doing. And I can't believe how many he came here four times. Matter of fact, my hometown where he, I'm at right he now. He came to Michigan uh, after midnight on election day. Election that was day my hometown. <laughs> that was here. That was here. He actually wrapped up his campaign here. It was crazy. It's kind of amazing. He's a he's a seventy year old guy, and again, I'm yeah. like you. I'm not very political, but I'm fascinated by the game aspects of it. And and I know many people are scared and afraid, and, and so on. And, and I get it. Like like he's he's a citizen candidate. We've never really had that before. He, he's kind of crazy in his own particular way, and we've never had that before. Uh, so I get it. people are scared, but but. Look, you got to say this guy was out there in your hometown on Election Day past midnight in his suit, fully refreshed. And Hillary Clinton should have been there as well. Like where where, if you wanted to have a race like she kind of gave up a little too early. Yeah, there's some really interesting lessons there. And I think over time, people are really going to start to unpack those. But he did absolutely outwork her. I mean, absolutely outwork her, which is kind of interesting. Um but the other thing, too, was the strategy of he would go and give these rallies and then he would see based upon reaction with the crowd. You can feel that when you're standing in front of people. And I've spoken in front of um, crowds all the way up to 40,000 people at a, at a ball game. I actually married this couple for this wacky radio thing we did right in front of 40,000 people at a ball at home plate. But when you do that, like you can feel there's an energy there. So you can feel that. So he got immediate real time reaction to what people what they what they reacted to what he was saying and one of the things i saw him say in an interview was every time i say that line about the wall they go crazy so he would test his material out i kind of look at it like this like as a comedians comedians will go from club to club and they'll test out their new material and then once they figure out what really plays that's what goes on the hbo special yeah, yeah, no, that's so true. You, you've you've re- probably read the book Little Bets by Peter Sims, where he talks about Chris Rock uh, doing exactly that, like you know, first starting off reading off of napkins at the local Laugh Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey, mm. and then seeing what got give, doing a deadpan, seeing what gets a few chuckles, and then kind of building up from there. 
I haven't, but I'll put that one on my list. That sounds that sounds great. And, yeah. and by the way, James, uh, thanks for doing this, dude. I, you know what's funny is uh, I know I'm, I <laughs> I know you have a tendency to uh, to do this and kind of take over the interview and and start asking the questions. But uh, I have plenty for you. It, it's funny that um, your new book out is is we <laughs> we're talking about reinventing. Um, and reinventing myself, you know, looking at this, uh, you know, I guess the f- the first introduction I had to you was had to be um, maybe it was originally through the blaze. Maybe it was. Cho- I know it was choose yourself. Reading that book was a it was a big light bulb moment for me. Well, well, uh, Glenn Beck read choose yourself, uh, loved it and had me on the show three times. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. I, I, I think Glenn's a, a good guy. And um, and it, and it was an enjoyable show. I flew down to Dallas each time, and uh, you know, really enjoyed myself. You know, um, it's that kind of stuff that I think is important for us to open. We're we're opening new doors. We're we're you know, and I, and I don't mean just the, with the blaze, but like um, in in culture. And in society that we're able to have these conversations and you're hearing things talked about that never would have been talked about before. And and your book and what you talk about in that book specifically um, is a is a big reason for it. But reinvent yourself. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't I haven't read it yet. It comes out today. It's it'll yes. be out when people hear this. Yes, it's just out right now. That's th- that's what I've been going <laughs> through for the last uh, four and a half, five years. And I got to tell you, man, I'm glad you wrote the book um, because I think it's the new norm. I mean, the reason I do this, the reason I, you know, write in a blog or, or put out anything on Facebook or anywhere is because that I've realized that this whole idea of the go to school, get the good job, so you can work there for, you know, 40 years or whatever and then and then retire. I mean, that's like that doesn't that that doesn't exist anymore. That, no, it doesn't. I mean, I mean, first off, you said a couple of interesting things. One is you've been dealing this with for the past four and a half and five years. And I really do think a period of reinvention where you kind of end one career or passion or whatever and start a new one does take about four four or five years to solidify all of their successes all along the way, just like with the we were mentioned earlier with these comedians. Um, you know, second, uh, I mean look at look at look at your own path that you've constructed. You're doing a radio show, you're doing a podcast for the Blaze, you're marrying people in baseball stadiums. <laughs> my my guess is you do voiceover work, am I correct? Yep. Yep. So 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 you basically, it's not like you have, you, you know, it's not like you have a, a corporate cubicle desk that you go to and, and check the box on your boss's to-do list and then you go home uh, and, and that's it. You're constantly recreating yourself, finding opportunities, learning new skills, finding things that excite you, having interesting experiences like this baseball stadium one. Um, and that's what that's what life is sort of merging into. Now, People aren't failures if they're not speaking in front of baseball stadiums. But in general, we're all kind of taking these steps that that, you know, or we're trying to learn how to the skills to take these steps to move us in these directions of interesting experiences. It's like corporatism is dead and real capitalism is starting to take over. So corporatism is where kind of the people at the top 
make all, you know, hire people at the bottom to create the value, but the people at the top take all the money. And now what's happening is we're getting our piece back. Like we're creating value for ourselves and taking more of the dollar for ourselves. And that's more fun and more valuable and more lucrative and more innovative and leads to a greater economy and leads to more personal satisfaction. This is probably, and I'm just on uh, Amazon and where you can grab the book here, but this is this little piece right here is what I started to learn back in 2012 and continually I'm impressed with every day. And, and this is, this is it all. And uh, James says, what I've learned, change is the only constant. Companies decay, technologies disappear, governments change, relationships change, and opportunity is a shifting landscape. Reading the stories and learning the critical skills taught and reinvent yourself is how I found my, my own way through the chaos of change and onto the path of new opportunity and success. That's, that's it. And, and, it, and it never ends. Right. Like we see how, you know, obviously we see how the political landscape is changing. And then obviously the corporate landscape, like what's going to happen to General Motors and Ford when, you know, we 90 percent of cars are eliminated because we're all driving around in self-driving Ubers. So, uh, you know, and we already talked about the media industry is totally turned upside down. There's no more record stores. Bookstores are starting to disappear. I mean, I, I think in San Francisco, there's like no more bookstores, for instance. Mm. And in, in New York, 90% of them have disappeared. So every industry is changing, and it's scary because change is scary and uncertainty is scary. And I've been scared. I've, I've been through my upheavals where it was – I was scared out of my mind. But uh, then you start to – what I did was I started to really study. Well – who are these people who have reinvented their lives and why can't I become one of them? What, what skills have, have they developed that I don't have? And so that really became a stu- the study that, that for me, the personal study, not a scientific study, but the personal study that for me became the book Reinvent Yourself. In, you know, following your story and the things that you've been into, I mean, you kind of glossed over failure, but I mean, you've really had some some moments that uh, that would shake a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I've gone I mean, I've, I've built and sold businesses, but then afterwards made really, really bad decisions like decisions. I, I really felt like killing myself over and I'm not even exaggerating where I just I completely went broke and bankrupt. I lost houses. I lost a family. I lost everything. And people say, oh, well, it's easy to reinvent if you have money. I don't know if it's so easy to reinvent when you have money. I had to reinvent out of necessity. Like I had no money after having money. Mm-hmm. So it was super depressing and I had nothing and I had to reinvent just to pay for my for the diapers for my two kids. So sometimes it's sometimes it's necessity that holds a gun to your head and says, "Look, you better start now figuring out you know, get get yourself that voiceover work." Yeah. So, you know, you got to do something. So, James, do you think each of us has something? I mean, do we do we each of us have something that right now you could take anybody off the street that they could in the crazy new economy that we have go out and immediately hang up their shingle and, and be able to start making money? Not necessarily immediately, but like, let's say I wanted to have an, a radio show. Well, maybe I could start doing 
a podcast every day and writing the results of it on LinkedIn, but also linking to my podcast. And I can write on LinkedIn, I can write on Medium, I can write on Huffington Post, I can write on Facebook, link to it on Twitter, maybe post about it on Snapchat and Instagram. And maybe I start off with a 20-minute show and it doesn't even have to be uploaded to iTunes. I could just upload an audio file somewhere and and write about it. And you know, now I can start to see over time. Well, what are how am I building an audience? I have ten people listening to me. Well, if I have this person on who talks about Donald Trump, I have fifty people listening to me. And I could start to build up over time and over years. And I could study. I could listen to the interviews of Howard Stern. I could listen to the interviews of Larry King. What makes them special? And let's say that doesn't work. I failed. Well, now what I can do is maybe I can write a book, how to interview. Here's how Howard Stern does it. Here's how Larry King does it. Here's how Charlie Rose does it. Here's how Justin Barclay does it. So now I've transformed this one thing I attempted that didn't really work out. But now I'm like an, uh, an expert on how to interview and how to, how to explore curiosity. And now maybe I can you know, give a talk at the local YMCA or the local bookstore, or maybe some companies hire me to give talks about curiosity and interviewing and maybe interviewing people for jobs or how to do good at an interview for a job. And now I could write a book about a self-published book that I could upload to Amazon, how to do the best at your interview for a job. You know, so now we've just kind of talked about three or four different careers. I might not be the best at any of them, or may, but I can start to test and experiment and see what I'm good at and what people need and and kind of go from one thing to another and see what seeds are planted that grow into uh, ultimately the garden that flourishes. Something will work eventually. That's kind of like a, my mantra is this very mediocre sounding, something will work eventually. And it's true. That's the only true thing I know. Is it just persistence? It's it's persistence and and it's it's um, uh, it's a little bit of health. Like you can't do any of these things if you're sick, so mm-hmm. you have to take care of yourself. Like you can't hang out uh, drinking in a bar every night. You kind of have to hang out with people who inspire you and 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 who love you and support you and and vice versa. And it, it involves being creative. So you kind of have to figure out ways to practice your creativity every day. Like try to do one create, you know, make that notch, do one creative thing every day. Like, like Seinfeld would, would, he wouldn't break the chain. He'd write one joke a day and he never broke the chain. And it's a matter of being positive. So every time you think to yourself, oh my God, this failed. Uh, it's all those millennials. I'm too old to get a job or, uh, uh, oh, you know, Donald Trump and the deplorables have took over. Now I'm net, nothing good's ever. You can't think negative. You have to take positive action and or at least imagine yourself taking positive action every day. So when a bad thing happens in my let's say I'm running a business and I don't get along with my shareholder, my other shareholder, I could either say, oh, this guy is an idiot. I can't handle him anymore and start arguing with him. Or I can say, look, I've got a great business here with a good opportunity, which means I should be able to find someone else who can replace the shareholder. So I could take positive action. There's always positive actions you can take in, in, in every negative situation. Uh, and I think that's important for people to realize. So it's not like everybody's like gifted with some 
God-given passion and, and, and vision in life, but the fact that we all do have this amazing internal strength that we can continue to exercise and build up even in the worst of times and transform that into a new life for ourselves. And not only that, it's not a new life that, okay, this is my new life, I'm done, I'm settled. It's an everyday process. Reinvention is a habit. It's not something that happens once. It's something that happens every minute of the day. Like Justin, I'm sure you're always thinking, well, okay, I'm at the blaze. I'm doing a radio show. I'm doing a podcast. What's the next thing I can be doing? Can I take this podcast and can I have a segment on maybe the blazes TV stuff or, or other local TV or, or write a book based on what I'm learning. You know, there's all these different directions you could take your, your skill set and expand it. And I'm sure you think about these things. So how do you shift your mindset and your thinking? Uh, as you were just talking about negativity, right from the mindset or the idea that you always see the obstacle and not the opportunity. How do you switch to seeing the the opportunity? How have you done that? How can people do that if they're listening right now? Well, you know, it's funny you use those two words, obstacle and opportunity, because a good friend of mine, Ryan Holiday, wrote a book, and I believe the title is The Obstacle is the Opportunity or something like that, because often – you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to misuse a phrase from Sheryl Sandberg's uh, book, "Lean In." Often, when you lean into the obstacle, you could find the opportunity. So, let's say I'll, I'll take this example of a, of a negative shareholder. He's causing you. He's he's yelling at you all the time. He's arguing with you. He's he's threatening you. Okay, I can't argue with somebody like that. But I can lean into the problem and I can say, well, look, maybe this is an opportunity to find a better partner and uh, someone who can be more valuable to my business and to me. So rather than argue, which is the negative way of looking at it, and rather than being scared, which is a negative way of looking at it, I can say, where, is, where are the opportunities here? Maybe I can find a better partner. Maybe I can um, – uh, maybe this partner could buy me out. Uh, and I can make money and start a different business. Like so, so I'm just using that as an example. Another example might be, I I wrote a fiction book and I self-published it. Nobody wanted to publish it, so I self-published it to Amazon, and it did horribly. It didn't sell. Okay, well now there's a, a, an opportunity. I I can learn. Well, why didn't it sell? What did, maybe I didn't um, have interesting characters, or maybe I didn't move plot fast enough. So I can try again. And I can write another book. And, you know, you see many writers like there's a friend of mine, Hugh Howey, wrote 11 books. On his 12th book, he wrote a book called Wool. The first 11 books failed. Wool became a massive bestseller and sold millions. <laughs> and that's just what happens. Hmm. You have to write, sometimes you have to write 11 books to have a success. I wrote Choose Yourself, I think. So, so I wrote a book called Choose Yourself. It sold now about 600,000 copies. I think that was like my... I don't know, my 13th book. Uh, and, and so far it's, it's more copies than all my other books added up together. I've written 18 books now. And so, uh, you know, for businesses, I've started 20 different businesses, 17 of them have failed and they failed miserably. Like I was out on the street crying cause they failed so badly. Mm. So, you know, you, you, you're allowed to cry for a day, and and then you have to get over it. You know, even even in most religions, you know, you, you, there's a mourning period where you wear black 
where you do whatever in Judaism, you sit Shiva in, in, in other religions, you wear black, you do all these things and then you move on. Uh, you, you're required to move on again uh, in Judaism. You're actually not allowed to live. You're, you're not allowed to visit the grave of your beloved dead person for a year after they die mm. because you have to move on in life. That's what life is for. So taking the moment to reflect back, recognize, understand the loss, that's one thing. But then the other part of that, the component is moving on because life is going to go forward. You know, I was just watching. I live in New York City and I was just watching um, in South Street Seaport, uh, the world. They, they just had the world chess championship, which is amazing because, I mean, it's very rarely in the United States. And here it was right around the corner for me. I didn't know. I was just passing by, and I saw the World Chess Championship being played there. So I, I went in, and I was watching these basically two young people, two 25-year-olds, playing for the World Chess Championship. And the, the defending champion, his name is Magnus Carlsen, he uh, kept getting these winning positions and then failing to win. Hmm. The other guy... Um, Sergei Korjakian, Korjakian, I don't know how to say his last name. He he would take these losing positions and make them into a draw so nobody would win. And so the commentator said, when Magnus Carlsen gets out of this championship, his coach is going to sit him down and set up winning position after winning position and force Magnus Carlsen to win them. And that's how they're going to train. So uh, nobody mentioned the word failure uh, it's like, this is like, okay, this is a situation where Magnus Carlsen has discovered a new weakness for himself at, at the top level of play, you know, inside a world championship match. And he's going to have to train to be, he's going to take this experience and he's going to put together a training program specifically based on the weaknesses he's just discovered and he's going to get better. And that's what we do. We call it failure now in our society because we, we, we live in this failure pornography society, mm-hmm. but you know, Thomas Edison, as they say, experimented a thousand times before he created the light bulb. So it's not a matter of if, but when. And then the other thing is, is your recovery or reaction time from it is, is, is how fast you can, you can move forward. You can get up and go, okay, that was fine. And dust yourself off. And I learned something. That's like, if you're really good. Okay. I learned something. What did I learn? And asking those questions, and then you're moving on to the next thing. The question is, James, how many people are willing to write the 12 books to get to the 13th? Well, it's hard, and it might not be the case that you should. Like I, for, for instance, in you know, one of the very first things I tried to do was pitch a TV show. It didn't work. I pitched another TV show. I got funded to be to shoot a pilot, and then they didn't air it. I pitched another TV show. They were all excited. Then a few weeks later, they didn't call me back ever. Uh, and then I gave up. I didn't pitch 11 TV shows. Maybe the 11th would have gotten accepted. I, I don't know. You know, you kind of, ex- it, you have to kind of um, plant a lot of seeds to grow a garden. And, uh, and you have to give yourself permission to plant those seeds and to not be so disappointed over each failure uh, you know, the first time I lost everything, I lost all my money, it took me several years to, to bounce back. Like, I was really depressed. I, I, I moved, like, 80 miles out of the city, and I, and I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was like a shut-in. 
And it took me a few years to kind of come out of my house again. And I, I, I don't regret that. I guess I had to go through that. But I can tell you now my bounce back time is a lot faster because I learned that this happens. This is what life is about. People get sick and die. Everybody does eventually. Uh, businesses, some succeed and most fail. Books, some work, most don't. Uh, ideas, most ideas are bad. But, but, but if you stop having ideas, you'll never have a good idea. And, and if you stop having ideas, you'll never get the exercise you need to become uh, to build your idea and creativity muscle. So you just have to keep going forward. And, you know, part of what helps is you have to do what I call you have to find your plus minus equal. So you have to find a plus people you can learn from. Like if I Justin, if I wanted to learn how to how to be a really good radio host, I would, you know, follow you around and say, how do you do it? How do you do it? And I'd ask you a thousand questions. So you would be like a plus or I would, or I would watch every Howard Stern show and, and ask myself, what's he doing? That's so special. Mm-hmm. And, and he would be like a virtual mentor to me and you would be like a real mentor to me. So that's my plus. Then I would have equals. So I would do my show and, and have a guest and have an audience. And these are all my equals. And I would get feedback. Am I doing a good job or not? And I would, and I would learn from the feedback and, and try to improve. Like, like, like I explained with the world chess champion, he's going to challenge himself by playing other people, his level, uh, from winning positions and learn from the feedback, whether he wins or loses. So, and then there's a minus, you have to find your minus other people to teach because then that helps you solidify the learning. And also students have a different way of, of challenging you than mentors do. And so plus minus equal is a great way to learn, to bounce back, to, to, to quickly reinvent yourself into a new career or passion and see if it works for you. I really like that. Plus minus and, and equals. And it, I guess the, the reality is, is that no matter who you are in some capacity, you know, you're, you're always going to be, find yourself in some place where there's someone you can learn from. Uh, there's people that are on your same level and there's people that you can share your experiences or, or your knowledge with. I mean, think about, uh, I mean, we always, we're, I'm always getting back to Donald Trump here, but again, just from like the game, like aspect, the guy's never run for president of the United States. He's the first citizen you know, who never had any military or government or political experience whatsoever, who who's even come close to being president, let alone win. So what did he do? He found his pluses. He found many political mentors, you know, ex campaign managers from other campaigns, uh, you know, people who polled for the issues. So he knew what issues were important to, to other people. He had no idea immigration was nobody. I would never have guessed immigration was in the top 10 of important issues to this country, but it turns out to be. And so he knew that not by guessing, but by looking to his pluses, the, the polling experts and campaign experts who guided him. Then he had his equals, people who gave him a ton of feedback uh, on whether he was doing good or bad, plus the media who was constantly giving him uh, feedback and, and challenging him and so on. And then he had his minuses. So not people worse from him, but people he taught. So he would uh, uh, give speeches. And if the crowd, it's like you said, if the crowd was responding, he would learn from that. If the crowd was asking him, well, what are you going to do about immigration? He would learn, oh, I need an answer for this. So Donald Trump made very good use of the plus minus equal technique to become 
the, the leader of the free world. So this technique works. You know, what's so interesting about him. The thing that, that I think intrigues me the most, and it's not just him, but it's people that are peak performers, people that, that are, you know, highly, these are the successful people, you know, that have, they seem, you look at them and they seem to, to have it all like winners will win and then losers tend to lose. But to me, it's like somebody like him, he can take a normal situation that may appear to other people to be a loss and he can take the loss and turn it into a win. He will take people's strengths and turn it into their weakness or his weakness and turn it into his strength. Vice versa. Well, well I was talking to um, Scott Adams about this. So Scott Adams is known for Dilbert. Dilbert's a cartoon, of course, syndicated in 2000 newspapers. So the guy is an amazing success just in his, in this in this area. But he also kind of um, has studied persuasion. And, and a year and a half ago, he actually predicted Donald Trump would win. So I called him up and I said, how did you do that a year and a half ago? And he said, let's just take a look at some of Donald Trump's techniques. Uh, and Scott's telling me he uses something called the linguistic kill shot. So he would he would use a phrase never before used in politics that was very visual to describe someone. So he would say about Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush is low energy. Mm. So this is a phrase, you know, JFK never called Richard Nixon a low energy candidate. Like this is a phrase that was never used in politics before. And it's very visual. So every, so, so what happens is you, you put those words in someone's head. It's uniquely there about Jeb Bush because it's never been used before. And now every time you look at Jeb Bush, you, you, you're looking for confirmation. You're looking for confirmation bias. Like yeah. you're see, oh yeah, because he's not doing jumping jacks, so he must be low energy. Um, mm. And uh, uh, you know, and then you know, crooked Hillary. You know, uh, I forgot what he said about Marco Rubio. Like little, little Marco, Marco. Yeah. Ted. Yeah, yeah. So he he did all these things that 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 are basically um, what Scott Adams calls classic hypnosis techniques. To basically knock out one at a time his 16 opponents for the Republican nomination and then Hillary. And and look, even with all that, he barely won, but he, he still won. Was that uh, – and I don't know with, with him, is it, or maybe we can just talk generally, but is that something that people learn or is it a natural technique? I think I think a little bit of both. I think for him he probably learned it. Like he probably studied a little bit of – you know, either hypnosis or NLP or any of these kind of persuasion techniques. He's also, don't forget, as opposed to most of the candidates, he's he spent a lot of time in front of uh, a television camera. I mean, The Apprentice yeah. is one of the most successful sh- TV shows ever. And so he had he had uh, kind of media training on overdrive, as opposed to Hillary Clinton, who, who really wasn't kind of the most talented person in front of the, the camera. And again, I'm not talking about their politics at all. Like, I don't even we don't really know what either of them believe in. Like Barack Obama was going to get us out of two wars and Guantanamo Bay and and none of that happened. So we don't know. You know, George Bush Sr. was going to lower taxes and he raised them. So we we ultimately have no idea what what anybody actually is going to do when they become president. But 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 seeing the techniques, you know, I wrote about these techniques at one point and someone said, oh, I, I lost so much respect from you because you wrote about this. And I was like, you know, there, I didn't say a political thing in this article. Don't you want to know how 
your the choices of 120 million of your, your you know fellow citizens made made their might have made their decisions like this is important stuff it really is and you know what's funny is you know the people will find whatever they're looking for so you know in that case it was just a, a case of somebody who was probably looking for that in what you had written and uh i agree i think it is important i want to know i want to understand it and it's it's important that you know we can have these conversations without bringing any sort of policy or politics into the matter we could just kind of talk about what happened and and dissect it uh afterwards and in looking back with the television comment you know it's funny to me because if you look at it, you just said that he had the most television time and the most probably the most media altogether. But isn't that kind of what this whole thing's really become is the person who gets the most attention um, is the one who who uh, and is the one who wins? Well, well, this is always the case. Right. So, um, you know. If you look at like uh, uh, a great book to read is the, the Making of the President, 1960 by Theodore White. So, uh, so again, it talks about John F. Kennedy versus Richard Nixon, and uh, I believe these were the first televised debates ever. And uh, Kennedy spent a week preparing, not by going over all the issues where he was clearly weaker than Nixon, but by going to, to Florida and getting a tan. Mm. And meanwhile. Nixon didn't understand anything about, you know, nobody understood anything about television makeup or anything like that. He, he, he Nixon had a tendency to sweat a lot. Mm-hmm. By, by the end of the day, he had a kind of a five o'clock shadow unless he shaved constantly. So he just looked bad in that debate. And, and that president, that election was so close. Probably if Nixon had done a better debate, he would have, he would have won in 1960. So what did he do in 1968? Um, he hired uh, a, a young man fresh out of school named Roger Isles uh, to say, hey, get me ready for television. And Roger Isles did that. And, you know, Nixon, against all odds, and I say that because he'd even lost a gubernatorial race in between 1960 and 1968. Nixon became president of the United States hmm. uh, 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 on, on kind of a liberal uh, agenda of getting us out of the Vietnam War. And, uh, uh, you know, and that's because that's because he he knew how to, at that point, manipulate the media. And so it's always been the case. Manipulating the media wins. And isn't that something that we should all be aware of? Because if we're aware, we can make better decisions and not only in our lives, our businesses, but also, you know, for for, I guess, in our political and who we vote for. Or, or, or I think that's right. Or we could just simply assume, listen, no matter what, I'm going to be manipulated by these massive, massive forces around me. Like, like, let's say you're swimming and a tidal wave comes. It's not like being aware of a tidal wave will make you swim against it any better. Uh, right. You're going to be swept up by the tidal wave. It's just that maybe now you can you don't have to panic. You could just say, okay, I'm going to let the tidal wave throw me into the shore, and I just have to avoid the undertow or whatever. Yeah. But you know, just being aware of that, like, hey, I'm probably going to make a lot of stupid decisions in my life. So maybe actually, the less decisions I make, the better. <laughs> you know, yeah. which, which I kind of believe. I kind of believe. You know, everyone talks about minimalism. Oh, I got to simplify my life and only have three forks and a plate. But maybe the real minimalism is let's just try not to think too hard about complicated things. You know, what's interesting is uh, 
I, I hear you talk about the tidal wave, and it made me think. I visited my. Uh, we were going home to visit for the holidays with my family, and my parents uh, love them. They're like seventy, in their seventies now, and. As much as I love them and get to spend time with them, I noticed uh, as they get older, they complain a lot more. <laughs> There's just like creeping negativity uh, all all around, like a wet blanket kind of. And in, and the other thing that we're very focused on is uh, reading the obituaries and who's died and keeping up with all that. And uh, w- one of the things that I just kind of noticed was uh, I-, I call it like gravity. It was this gravity of being around this that I started to notice, like really taking effect and taking hold on me like um, day day two, maybe while we were there. And um, I moved out. One of the things that was, I think, probably looking at it now, pretty critical to my career and my success in the, in the last 20 years was that as soon as I could, I moved out and I was... I was like getting out of the house and, 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 and ready to go. Um, and you have talked about this earlier in the, in the, in the podcast here, but you talked about negative influences and being around negative people or people that don't hold you down. And it's interesting because that tidal wave with these, with, with my parents made me think about that. I, I, I kind of came to the place where there are a couple of things that I can do that would be, that would that would make me I think it make the trip and make things easier and, and uh, not as negative and part of it was limiting kind of limiting time with them uh, but I love them you know it's not I, I love seeing them I love spending time with them but I notice like a dramatic change in myself when I'm when I'm hanging around them um, well well you know we're basically you know we, we always think of um, of course, d- diseases as contagious because uh, if I if you're near someone who has some kind of bacteria, that bacteria could jump from that person to you, and now you're sick. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that essentially everything is contagious. Like emotions are contagious, uh, personalities are contagious. In fact, we even say someone's personality is infectious. Right. If they're so excited, that you'll get excited too. But it works the other way. If they're negative, or if they put you down, or or you know, there's also Stockholm syndrome, where your personality is affected by you're a prisoner, and your your personality is affected by the guards mm. who are guarding you. And that's what's happened a lot in our society. Whether it's a family, a parent who guards a child, or a, a professor who guards a student, or a boss who guards an employee, or a president who who guards a, a citizenry. Um, you know, all of these things. You kind of have to make sure. Uh, you're around the people who are the best people to be contagious with, you know, positive people who, who support your, your dreams and, and motives and vision and in, in every way and have the skills you want to learn from. And, you know, and you, and you spend as much time as possible with them. Comedians hang out with comedians. Artists, ha- the best artists hang out with other artists. Writers spend time with writers. Uh, and of course, Writers spend time with scientists, so you can learn from other areas and 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 and, and be inspired and learn new things. And all, but 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 you don't want to hang out with, you know, people who are going to be, you know, just the worst influences on you. Uh, it's an interesting thing, though, what you said though about, you know, as people get older, they tend to get more negative. I, I wonder what other things. Like I always see, like let's say someone gets older, like seventy or eighty years old. You always see like these pictures of these seventy-year-old guys with going after twenty-five-year-old girls, and 
I, I call that also the, the disease. Like, what what is it about age that makes people either go negative or do these weird things? Like, go for twenty five year old girls. Like, why can't people just be good seventy year olds? Like, on you know that that you know on the seventy year old part of that spiritual trip we're all on. You know, why can't they just do that? Well, and you know the other thing too is, and the, uh, this is all anecdotal, so I can't tell you. I mean, James, the one thing. Oh, why you tell me the answers? Well, the answer to this might be that they were always this way. I just didn't recognize it because I was too close to them at the time, and so it took me moving away and then coming back into contact because I've shifted and changed so much myself through through my life, and then coming back into contact with them and and seeing it again up close and because per- we when we go there we stay with them. Uh, and so I'm, you know, it's, it's like, you're almost like 24 seven for a couple of days. Whereas, you know, if I'm on the phone with them or something that, you know, it's just a few minutes and then you're, and then you're off, but it's immersion. So maybe they were always that way. That could be too. Maybe, maybe that's always that way. And maybe, maybe age also, you kind of shed some inhibitions. So your, your true self starts to come out a little bit more. Yeah, it, the obituary thing got me, though, because my mom was flipping through the newspaper. And she asked my dad, did you look at the obituaries yet? And he said, I think I did. And she said, no, you didn't, because it's not open. And so she opened it up. And sure enough, I thought, well, this is crazy. Why would they be so concerned? Sure enough, she pulls it open and finds this guy in there that my dad, he was a teacher. So he taught with this guy. And he knew him. And for years, they were they were great friends. And he had just died in um so then that became the whole topic of conversation i saw my parents instantly shift into when is the funeral when do i need to go i got to get it on the calendar all these things and and that really made an impact on my life because i again i hate to go back to what we have already kind of talked about and stated and but it is the theme of your books is is here's this man well, we get 20, 20 years for our life to go to school, and that's what he did. And then he had 40 years of teaching and, and, at work. And then by the time he retired, he was like 60, 65 when he retired. He, he, he died at 83, 85, something like that. So then you get 20 years in retirement to do the things that you want to do. That's it. 20 years, and that's, that's when you're supposed to do the things that you want to do. Versus why am I waiting so long to do the things that are really important to me and, and to be with the people that are really important to me. You know, it's, it's so important, and particularly in today's day and age where not only are the things uh, that uh, – not only are there things important to you, uh, but, but you no longer have to wait. Like the technology is there to really help you along to make these dreams come true. And – uh, internally understanding that you don't have to wait is very difficult. And then externally understanding how to execute is somewhat difficult, although not as difficult as the internal. And this is really what my books, Choose Yourself and Reinvent Yourself, are about. Like right. that's, uh, that's, that, that's my goals is that people start to realize these things. And really I wrote it for myself because I needed to realize these things. I needed to realize, oh, I don't need X amount of dollars or I don't need to have um, – you know, my two kids out of the house or uh, be doing, you know, have X, Y or Z in order to be happy or in order to write a novel or in order to be on Justin's radio show. I, I have something to offer now. And I and writing these books helped me uh, realize that in part because I study the lives of many other people, including my own, to teach me. I found my pluses and I report the results to my equals in these books. 
Well, I I can't thank you enough for it, James. And uh, your book, uh, Choose Yourself, is one of the uh, w- one of the books I recommend most to people. And um, I highly suggest that if you have not read that, go go get that book and and make sure you uh, when you go to Amazon, it does that cool thing where where it says you might also like this one or somebody else about to throw in the the reinvent yourself because <laughs> I'll be reading it. We can read it together. That'll be fun. Oh yeah, let me see. If you, for people who like reinvent yourself, I wonder if it's different for each person. What what shows up uh, based on your other? You know, I get frequently bought together. Reinvent yourself and choose yourself. I got, and then you, it's oh. got. You can buy both. Let's see. So I get. Um, uh, I don't get anything on the frequently bought together, but I get customers who bought this item. Also bought choose yourself. Also bought uh, non obvious. Also bought my children's book. My daddy owns all of outer space. Oh yeah, I'm I, getting those too. I got Tools I was, of the Titans. Yeah, uh, uh, Tools of the Titans. Stephen Pressfield's The Knowledge, The Way of the Ice Man by Vim Hoff. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, he's cool. And um, yeah, and some other fun ones. I got your uh, Obstacle is the Way mentioned earlier. That 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 one's in here. Oh, yeah, Obstacles the Way. Yeah, that's a good book, by the way. And also his other book, uh, Ego is the Enemy, but which is also a book about stoicism um, and by Ryan Holiday. That's a good book. You're in some good company here. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope it stays that way because, uh, like I said, it's it's contagious. Does Amazon know that you're you <laughs> looking at uh, your books? I, I don't. I, I don't know. I probably does. It probably has some cookies on there that knows, you know, my, my search history and stuff. But I have a brand new – well, no, I guess it knows from my account. So, yeah, I don't know. It probably knows. Before I let you go, great cover, by the way. Who who did this for you? Oh, my God. First off, I want to tell you uh, it is a great cover. You're, and this book is the first time people have said to me, by the way, great cover. The, the designer of the cover – is and this is out of 18 books first time someone said to me great cover uh <laughs> the, the designer of the book of the cover is pamela sisson she's my girlfriend she's been a graphic designer and artist for the past 20 years and she probably spent three months working on this cover like came up with a lot of different concepts really worked hard at it and just i i i kept telling her stop this is good and she was like, nah, I just need to just think about it a little more. And then the next day it would be a totally new concept. And this is what she settled on. And it's like, that is a badass astronaut there on the cover. Uh, and Yeah, it is. Now, how much, let me ask you though, how much, uh, did you give her free reign or did she have to go, Hey, what do you think about this? And then you, you kind of say, well, I like this or I don't like that. No, I, I, I get free reign. Cause I don't know anything. That's I, I used to run smart a man. I, I used to run a web design company also. And yeah. like, I hate that when the, the customers who knew nothing would try to tell my designers uh, what to do. Like, so she's a designer. She read the whole book. She read other books about book cover design. She had like Pinterest boards of 200 books to look at, to study from. Uh, so I, I didn't know what I was doing. She knew what she was doing. So always, I always let smarter people than me do the things that they're good at. Ooh, best lesson to learn on there. 
uh, and end on there. And of course, she's listening to me right now, so I have to say all that. <laughs> well, tell her we said uh, we loved it. And uh, listen, man, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you uh, sharing with us all in your books, your podcast. And uh, jamesaltoucher.com is the blog, and people can check out the uh, James Altoucher show and, and the podcast as well and, and uh, go over and, and subscribe because um, it's, it's a great show. And you have... Uh, Great conversations just like this one with some some really uh, some really awesome people. Thanks a lot, Justin. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, and, and it was nice to meet. Absolutely. Will do, and uh, good luck with the book. So let's stay in touch. You can get all the links to show notes, books we talked about, and all the cool things that you may have wanted to write down, but you didn't get a chance to make a note of. See the full show notes at justinbarclay.com slash purpose042. And while you're there, if you haven't already done it yet, join the Freedom Fam. Click on the uh, link and you can get the all-access VIP newsletter. Literally dozens of ways that you can discover to create more freedom in your life. We've got a cool private Facebook group and a group is growing day by day. You don't want to miss out. Well, that's it for this episode. I appreciate you. And as always, cheers to you in your life on purpose. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 